Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Okay, the reading this evening is from John 3, verse 9 to 16, and it's on page 1076 of the Bible in your pew. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Good evening, everyone. I'm Elliot, and I am so excited to be delving into these wondrous, life-changing words of our Lord and our God, Jesus Christ, together with you. I have experienced the sweetest of treasures through these words that were read here so amazingly by Ruth, and we've got a chance to just begin a taster like an appetizer of this feast tonight. We're going to zoom into particularly John 3, 14 to 16, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's go together into these vast lands of wonder and beauty that our Lord calls us into. It's like the promised land of his word. We're going to explore this from three angles, as you see on the screen. First, love. How Jesus' death blazes forth the vastness and majesty and intimacy of the love of God. Second, anti-venom. How Jesus foretells his death on the cross here as the anti-venom he urges in outstretched hand to a world that is poisoned. And third, joined. How Jesus invites us to be joined into his own life, his own eternal life, and share this with him and with one another forever. And so, next slide. First of all, love blazing forth. So first, we we see here the love of God blazing forth like the sun shining in its full strength. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Here is love at its highest peak, 
the love that is willing to give one's own life for another. And this love is for you. How do I know? Put your hand up if you're part of the world. Come on, everyone, everyone, that's everyone, everyone, and everyone online as well. For God so loved the world. When I first heard that God loved me from a counselor in an organization called Teens in Crisis when I was about 17, and in a very bad place in my life, I think I struggled to hold back the tears. But don't we become so flippant with the phrase, God loves you, that it loses the edge of its sheer beauty? This is my struggle now. I hear about God's love, but when I hear God loves you or that word love, I'm always in my mind confronted with this question, but what does love mean? And that is not an easy question to answer. If you don't believe me, get out your phone or a piece of paper, go onto the notes app and write down a definition of the word love. It is so hard to capture. It's like the question, what is beauty? Or why is that piece of music so wonderful? Or why is that sunset so mesmerizing? They are questions better experienced than defined by logic. It's like that abundant source of wisdom called Winnie the Pooh. Piglet asks, how do you spell love? Pooh answers, you don't spell it, you feel it. And that is quite profound, actually. But even that is hard. What does it feel like to be loved? How do you talk about that? Here is where our Lord Jesus uses an amazing paradigm, the concept of father and son. God's love is like that of a perfect parent to their little child, like on the screen. Think of a father or a mother playing in the sunshine with their little three-year-old son or daughter. Think of how fiercely they would protect them if anyone even dared to lay a finger on them. Can you feel that? Think of how easily they would die for them if they needed to. Then you get just a little glimpse of the reality of the love of our God. How does Jesus know this? He is most truly the Son of God, not not metaphorically, but actually, really, the Son of the living God. He is Son of Man, fully human, Son of God, fully God. And as the Son, he has personally felt the full force and intensity of his Father's love to him. God is fundamentally infinite, beyond any limitation. And so his love for his son, Jesus, is infinite. And this same Jesus, son of God, declares that God's infinite parental love bursts forth to be shared with a broken and poisoned world, an orphaned world longing for adoption. This might be a painful subject, This sort of parental love may have never been your own experience. But this is not about our experience. This is about thinking about the ideal vision of what everything that a beautiful parent-child relationship should be. How do truly loving parents treat their little children? They long for their good. They long for their happiness. They long for their flourishing. They feel this gut-wrenching compassion when they see them in pain. 
They long to be close to them. They long to be loved by their children. They long to hug them and cuddle them and express their affection for them in every possible way they can think of, every possible way they know the child will flourish in. This is wonderful love. And this is what our Lord wants us to think of ourselves as, little children loved by a wondrously loving parental God. All human parenthood is a faint, a faint echo of the wonderful parenthood of God. And so right here, we want to, once and for all, reject this horrible idea of a divided God, one where there is an angry father, but a loving son. This is opposed to the biblical idea of God, a fundamental concept, which I found amazing when I first realized it. It's expressed in the ancient Athanasian Creed. It says, such as the father is, such is the son, and such is the Holy Ghost. In other words, God always has the same character, same love, same indignation at injustice, same compassion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the same. The infinite love of Jesus towards us is exactly the same as the love of God the Father towards us, and exactly the same as the infinite love of the Holy Spirit. God, in all his trinity, is blazing forth with love towards this broken world, towards all the broken people in it. Jesus teaches us that we are loved with an infinite love. He infinitely desires our eternal happiness and life. He infinitely desires a beautifully, intensely, all-encompassing, loving relationship with us, which he desires to express to us in a multitude of ways, just as a loving parent does to their little child. Next slide. And so what does the infinite love of God do with our broken and hopeless, seemingly hopeless, human predicament? He offers anti-venom in outstretched hand towards us. Now, anti-venom might sound like a strange picture to use, but it comes from what Jesus says in verses 14 to 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What does Jesus mean by Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness? He's referring to a time in the young Israelite nation in Numbers 21 where they're wandering in the wilderness. It's a disastrous nightmare of a situation. They're being attacked by fiery snakes. That doesn't sound very good, does it? And people are being bitten and they're poisoned. They're feeling that poison surging through their veins. They know they're dying and they cry out to God. And here's how God answers in verses 8 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. What does God do? He offers them anti-venom, not in liquid form, but in the form of a bronze snake. It's like visual anti-venom. All they need to do is look at it and they were healed. Jesus uses this striking and even disturbing, intense picture to foreshadow a time when he, like the snake, would also be lifted up. This is the language he uses in John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This is like the magnetic power of the cross. The image here on the left is a statue of this brazen serpent on Mount Nebo in Jordan by the Memorial Church of Moses. The resemblance to a cross you can see there is very, very deliberate. It's meant to be a powerful picture. Jesus uses the bond snake as a metaphor, foreshadowing his own death on the cross. So we live in a toxic world, a world where hate crimes, a world where racial prejudice, school and workplace bullying, the number of prayer requests we've had in the prayer box from the young people here saying they've been bullied at school is incredible. A place of exploitive labor, torture, the vicious cruelty of war. These are daily realities. We have felt the sting of this poison in toxic relationships we may have experienced. We may have even taken the part of the snake in spreading our own anger and venom to others. I know when I feel that anger within me, you just want to lash out. We are worn out by the failure of promised political so-called solutions. And worst of all, we know that we ourselves are guilty and part of the problem. We need someone who is radically more powerful than utopian politicians. Who will heal us? Surely our wound is incurable. What Jesus is saying here is that his lifting up on the cross to die will be something wondrously healing, like the model of bronze snake. To a poisoned world where deadly venom surges through the veins of its people, Jesus' death on the cross is the only anti-venom. And just as all the Israelites had to do as they felt that sting of the poison was to look at the snake, knowing it would heal them. So all that we have to do, all of us who have felt the sting of that poison in the world, all we have to do is look to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, knowing he will heal us and we will live. And here's what Isaiah 53.5, that ancient prophecy, which Jesus says is fulfilled by him, proclaims. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Hear that. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus on the cross is the antivenom to the poison of evil in our world. He made this anti-venom at unspeakably great cost to himself. Every wound, insult, ounce of despair that he took on in that process, he considered worth the cost because he was compelled, compelled by love to save us. How could he love us like a parent loves their little child and leave us to die? He saw us throwing fiery snakes at each other. He saw how we were bitten, and his heart broke for us. And he was violently killed because he just had to see us killed, had to see us healed. He just had to be anti-venom for us. He just had to draw us to himself. That is what infinite love does. We look to our dying Lord on the cross, 
and know that there, finally, there is healing. And so we live. Now, next slide. This moves us onto our final section, joined into his life. Joined into his life by believing in him, by entrusting ourselves to him completely. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Our poisoned life is saved by drinking this wondrous antivenom, the antivenom of the dying Son of God on the cross. This drinking is believing in him. To drink means to become one with the liquid water that we drink. As the water flows through our veins, enters every cell of our body, it bathes even the neurons of our brains in every thought we think through them. In the same way, we receive healing from venom, life from death, by becoming one with Jesus. To be one means to be joined into his own life, to share in his life. This language of joined is striking and maybe unfamiliar, but I love its clarity. It's just sort of so like, nice and clear. I first heard it in 1 Corinthians 6.17, which says, But the one who joins himself to the Lord... That's the Lord Jesus. The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. The idea here is like a plug socket. Being, before being plugged in, an appliance is lifeless, lacking in energy, because it's disconnected from the source of energy, the socket. But when connected, when joined to its supply by the plug, it is surging through with energy and life. And as soon as you disconnect it again, all movement stops. It needs a continuous joining to the source of its energy. In the same way, to share in the eternal life of Jesus, we need a constant, unending, continuous connection to him. One where his very life can flow into ours as electricity flows from a power socket. We are not batteries. We are not capacitors. We hold no charge. We have no life of our own. We must be continuously connected to Jesus to share in his eternal life. And here's where Jesus' image of the grapevine is so helpful. Next slide. In John 15, Jesus boldly uses a very striking picture, one that has really changed my life, really. It's very striking. I am the vine, he says. You are the branches. The one who remains in me, or some say abides or lives, the one who remains in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Bearing fruit for a grapevine is a sign of life, and a branch cannot be broken off the vine, the source of its life, without drying up and dying. Jesus compares us to vine branches. All life that we have is because we are connected to him, the vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing, not even live. But Jesus declares in verse 15 that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
to believe, to have faith in Jesus, to look at his death on the cross and see that there, there, right there is healing, is what joins us to his life. That is what eternal life in him means. The life is in him, in his very being. And we share in his own life by trusting in and so being joined and united to him. If we were tandem skydiving, put your hand up if you've ever been skydiving. Anyone? Oh, oh, a few people. That's good. That must, that's very scary. I haven't ever done it, but it's very scary. Um, joined to an expert parachuter and Imagine we were having second thoughts, and we were terrified. We would fall to our deaths. They might say to us, trust me. And if we do trust them, we might feel a great comfort in our hearts and say to them, yes, I believe in you. I'm going to go through with this. You can get me safely to the ground as I stay joined to you all the way. To believe in Jesus and receive eternal life is to trust him, to entrust our lives to him. It's to allow ourselves to be carried by him, acknowledging we only have life if we are in him. It's to jump off a diving board and entrust ourselves to the living water of his presence, to be immersed in him and joined. It's to run into our home out of the driving rain of the thunderstorm. It's to take refuge in him as our shelter and fortress. To believe is to entrust our lives to Jesus to entrust our healing to his death and entrust our life to sharing in his resurrected, unending, eternal life. It's to surrender ourselves and give ourselves to him forever. So I'd like to invite the band up now. He loves us with an infinite, everlasting love. And so he died to save us from the poison of sin, the poison of our sin. And he was raised to life so that we could share in his everlasting life and joy. Will we believe in him today? Will we entrust ourselves to him? Will we look to his death on the cross for our healing? Will we say yes to receiving and sharing in his own eternal life? Maybe this is new to you, as it was brand new to me when I was a teenager. Maybe you've received this message many times before. Either way, we never outgrow the gospel. It is food to our life and salvation to our soul. The final response song the band are going to play in a moment is a prayer of entrusting, of giving ourselves away, of surrender. I remember God used this song when I was 18, just started at university in September 2011. And it was the first time I was able to say to God, I surrender all to you. It was this wondrous moment of freedom. Then one year ago tomorrow, 23rd of January, 2022, my first Sunday at Emmanuel, in person at the service, this song they're going to play now is in the, was, in the worst, it was in the evening service. And I wrote in my journal that you filled my eyes with tears of joy and worship. To have this song that was so special to me felt like such a kind gift from my Father in heaven. This song just means so much. I cannot express the wondrous, amazing freedom we find in surrender to him. To give everything to Jesus sounds scary, but it's the most life-giving thing we can ever do. An undivided heart. Is he calling you to surrender yourself to him afresh? 22nd of January, 2023, here in Croydon, London, England.
This can be so daunting. But here he is with outstretched hands to him. Can you see him outstretching his hands to us, saying, I will help you to do this. So before handing over to the band, I'd like us to stand together and let's pray for his help to surrender and entrust ourselves to him completely, knowing he loves us, he longs for relationship with us, and so is delighted to receive us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the infinite love that you have poured on all of us. We praise you of the inc- we praise you for its inconceivably great greatness. We praise you that you loved us enough to be lifted up on the cross for us, to go through all that so that we could be healed. You know how much we are limping in our in the toxicity of this world, in the poison we feel and we glimpse and we feel the sting of each day. Lord, as we look to you on the cross, we cry that you would heal us. Heal us from this poison. Heal us from our sin. Bring us into your everlasting life. And tonight, Lord Jesus, help us to surrender everything to you. Help us to join ourselves to your life. Help us to join ourselves to your eternal life. Take us and carry us all the way home. Draw us into the most wonderful, loving relationship with you. For this is everything our hearts have always longed for. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.